Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And this week we're talking about the last, the final part in uh, The Screaming Staircase, part five, which is just called And After. The real tragedy about all this is um, the amount of post-it notes I've stuck in my book make it so that the book doesn't close properly anymore. Mm, mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to go through and take them all out because it's going to bug me otherwise. <laughs> And it's just going to feel like such a waste. (laughs) I'm just going to have to throw them all out. Oh, well. If we really cared about, like, making money and stuff like that, we could put out the problem annotated screaming staircase with all of our annotations. No, no, no. No, no, no. You don't understand. (laughs) People can't read these. You've heard me (laughs) struggle to read my own notes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't... I. Genuinely don't remember if any of that struggle has made it into final edits, uh, but there have definitely been times when I've been like, no idea what I was trying to say there. That would be perfect. Next. It'd be like these little cryptic notes in there. You don't even know what they're like. What does this mean? Yeah. And then a lot of the time I'll just put one word because I know that that will trigger in my brain what I want to say. Yeah. But it's just nonsense. Fish. And you're like, what does that mean? I don't know what this <laughs> yes, means. Exactly. So... Chapter 25. Deeprak arrive at Coombe Carey Hall and secure all the sources on the property, while Barnes debriefs Lockwood & Co. The chapter art is a window with sunlight coming through. Deeprak has... The, the cavalry has arrived, which I think I made that note in the show also. Mm-hmm. And they capture uh, Percy Grebe as he's trying to sort of run away. There's a wild thing here that I didn't realize where it says the taxi driver delivered the message to Scotland Yard. So I guess he had that guy drive all the way back to London. They might be using Scotland Yard as like a metaphor for the police itself and that he just went to the local police station. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Because I was like, wow. It would take all night to drive through London. Mm Mm-hmm. It would have been kind of funny if that guy showed back up to get the gym bag. I kind of would have. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> he was just waiting on the... We can picture him there. We just, just, he's disappointed. Yeah, Stroud didn't include it, but he's definitely there being like, oh, shit, no gym bag for me. Yeah. I like how Lucy describes what's happening here because it is kind of similar to how she was after jumping out of um, the first job. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. This time, kind of even more so, but like it's also more positive because they didn't burn down the house. Yeah, they only killed their client. Well, nobody we care about got ghost touched. It's true that I didn't think about that. There's ghost touch both times. The outcome is like kind of not the way that things are supposed to go, but like it's all around much better. And Deep Rec is there in their um, Monsters Inc. uniforms, right? Yeah. That's how I see him. So Lucy's sitting there and she says she's not ghost touched, but she's feeling, you know, tired and kind of like her close encounter with Annie Ward did have an effect on her of some kind. Uh, a Fitz medic gives her an adrenaline shot just to pep her up. And I, I do wonder if like adrenaline is their version of how we treat antibiotics. You know, how we're like, well, something's wrong with you. Just take some antibiotics. <laughs> You know, and everybody in their world is just like, could I just get some adrenaline? I don't know. I was kind of near a ghost. It seems maybe <laughs> like overkill. It seems bad. <laughs> like she's just tired. It. She was up all night. Yeah. Bad things happened. What? <laughs> and they're like, well, we might need to question her. So. So, well, yeah. Let's stab her in the thigh with some adrenaline. With adrenaline. <laughs> 
Everybody just carries their EpiPens with them. <laughs> it's like that scene in Pulp Fiction when they... Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking too. I'm sure it wasn't as dramatic. Right. <laughs> Barnes is there, and I like that he's being nice to them a little bit. Well, at least he is to Lucy. Well, he's really good once everything's solved. He's really good at that part of the whole thing. <laughs> when it's time to do the cover-up. Yeah. Barnes is your man. <laughs> That's why he's gotten so far in Deep Red. Right. That's probably exactly right. Um, Fairfax definitely dead, unable to be resuscitated. I I do like that uh, Lockwood takes some, uh, a team up to the Red Room and lets them in or, you know, and helps them get in. And then, but just the way that uh, Lucy describes it here, she says, when a crack team tiptoed in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> It's obvious she's just like, these people are stupid. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they all take a certain amount of relish in everybody else having to do work and do the cleanup, like George is ordering people around. Yeah. After they find Fairfax's body, there's like a little bit here that says, uh, immediate readings were carried out in the vicinity of the locket and all around the room but everything came up negative. The spirit of Annie Ward, having been reunited with her killer, was nowhere to be found. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. That's good. Yeah. So it seems like we talked about at the beginning of the book that type twos always have a purpose. That's something that Lockwood talks about. Is that in the book or is that just in the show? No, no, it was it. Yeah, we talked about it. It was in the book? book. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I don't know. It's kind of in that part where where he does that really good moment of like unfolding the file. And then he's like, I will quote directly from. Oh, yes. And then it's just one word. It's like a couple sentences or something. I think it's Lucy who does the the quoting, but yeah. And so they, yeah, they talk about how they have a purpose. And it seems like her purpose I don't know, like, it seems like the ghost can be quenched or resolved rather than destroyed if they can do their purpose, whatever that is. I mean, in her case, yeah. it was like getting justice. But it also seems like nobody is investigating that. Yeah, no one cares about that. Which is interesting. And even, I mean, I'm jumping ahead here, but even when the books start exploring that more, even like George is kind of not into it. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that nobody seems to care about that. I mean, in this particular case, it like seems okay, but I would worry that there's there's got to be like people, right, who die when they've almost pulled off a heist or something like that. And then like, I don't, how do you resolve that? You'd be like, and then they got the no. thing they wanted. It, it would be yeah, bad. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it makes, uh, that it would be a better way to do things. I'm just, I'm just saying, why is nobody, I mean, I guess we don't know that nobody's investigating it. We don't, we don't know what Fitz does in their basement or whatever, mm-hmm. but it, it just seems weird that nobody seems to know about it, that nobody is paying attention to it. Yeah. Right? Like. And they stumble on this accidentally, it feels like. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel correct to the world which does make me think that probably Fitz does have shit going on in their basement yeah where they know about this and it's also like it's very cool that it's right here in the first book it feels very like the world feels very consistent and like interesting to me when I read this the first time I was it kind of like made the world feel bigger like oh there's 
stuff we don't understand at all. Yeah. So then uh, Barnes is like questioning Lockwood about keeping the locket. Oh, saying Lockwood and locket in the same sentence is interesting. <laughs> and, you know, about how he should maybe arrest him for that and blah, blah, blah. And how he dragged his team into danger. And I just love that almost immediately Lockwood is like, I had to accept Fairfax's invitation. That was the only way I could get the money to pay my debts. And it just really rings home that, like, Barnes does not do the good he thinks he does, if he, if what he says is accurate to how he thinks and feels. Yeah. You know, like, he he's not helping these kids. I mean, if anything, that whole giving a, a fine and all of that stuff is about protecting future, like, homeowners from Lockwood & Co. You yeah. know, it's like, it's it's about property and about like wealth and equity and has nothing to do with like because it's like you've said a million times they would just end up on night watch and get killed like he wants them out of the game and being dead would be you know fine he would blame it on them if they died anyway it just bothers me a lot um i do like when lockwood smiles at him and barnes says put those teeth away (laughs) it's too early in the morning (laughs) And I haven't had my breakfast. <laughs> That's really great. There is a a part where it says like a suspected murderer. Then that's hardly any more sensible. And I noticed you didn't see fit to include Cubbins or Miss Carlisle in making that decision. And she says this. It had to be said was a decent point, which was also on my mind. <laughs> and I like that Lockwood is like so angry with her earlier in the book about keeping secrets and like we're a team. You can't, <laughs> but like. Meanwhile, I do also like that, like as much as I notice how often Lucy will catalog a Lockwood smile, which she does here also, yeah. she also won't let him get away with stuff mm-hmm. like that. She'll also be like, yeah, what what is the explanation here, Mr. I'm okay if everybody dies? Yeah. <laughs> I've said it before, and I'm sure I will point it out again. Teenage boys are not the most responsible people on the planet grown men are way better (laughs) (laughs) uh this is where they talk about getting all the equipment off the dead bodies Mm -hmm. and uh barnes says something like fairfax didn't tell you what any of this was for (laughs) and lock was like i think he was too busy trying to kill us yeah (laughs) and then barnes just says and And who who could blame blame him (laughs) (laughs) oh I've been annoyed with a teenager in my life, but dear God, not that annoyed. <laughs> it's really brutal. It's very funny. That's a good moment. Yeah. Yeah. I really like right after that, too. It also says how one of the helmets lacks its eyepieces. Do you know where that is? And he's like, no, sir. I don't. I have no idea. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And you know right away that George has it. Yeah. And and again, it's like more of Jonathan Stroud, like expanding the world is, is how that feels to me. Like there's bigger stuff out there than what we've come to understand. He came out in this weird outfit and you're like, what's that about? And he's saying like, we're not done with this. Like I've just opened the door a crack. Yeah. Like we don't really come back to the goggles until book four. Yeah. It's interesting that he set them up and then just put them away for a while until he needed them. Mm-hmm. It's it's good. I do love this next bit that we get because it answers a lot of the questions that I had in our previous episode about 
the cluster of ghosts and if they had more than one source and what was happening with that. Oh, yeah, I noted this too, yeah. So uh, thanks, Stroud. Appreciate that. I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah, it says a number of secondary sources were discovered beneath the flagstones of the lobby, which that seems like somebody put them there. Oh, I'm I'm sure Fairfax did, or yeah. if not Fairfax, because we got, I don't even remember if it's blatantly said or if we extrapolated this, but that he was using the mansion as like an area to test out new equipment, both for his own personal stuff and for uh, like fits and yeah. satchels and the people who like sell equipment and stuff. Yep. Yeah, it makes absolute sense that he would just be either using the sources that are already there and hiding them on people. Maybe they have a special source detecting mm, mm-hmm. technology that they're trying to perfect or whatever. Right. And maybe even like testing out people's talents. I could see that. Yeah. But then once the monk's bones are gone, they seem to be depowered, even though they are sources, which is really interesting. There are things in the world that we don't totally understand and can learn more about. Yeah, kind of like they were all type ones, but the monks were making them type twos because they were so type two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And then we hear this brief bit about uh, Fairfax's whole estate being inherited by a nephew and a niece. And they like get everything. And we never hear about these people ever again, but I'm super curious about them. Like, who are these people? Do we like them? I don't, probably not. They were probably grew up as rich, spoiled brats. But. Mm-hmm. It fits with his backstory, too, because originally they, when he goes to the interview with them, he's like, I was a young whippersnapper or whatever thing he says. Right, yeah. But then when George does more digging and Lockwood does more digging, they're like, oh, he inherited his money. He wasn't an up-and-comer. He was always high society. And then he, like, cashed in on this opportunity. Yeah, I'm sure he felt like he was an up-and-comer, like he did all the work. And that's what's important, is how he sees himself. The last sentence here in the chapter was really Mm -hmm. notable to me, because Stroud is so good at having these snappy endings. And I felt like this one was different, and it was, like, Mm -hmm. different on purpose. It talks about, like, the Fitz agent who died. Uh, so long ago and like guided them down the stairs it says his name was sam mccarthy for the record he was 12 years old yeah it's really devastating yeah that his body was just left down there for so long even though as we've seen it like fairfax was all over the place in this house could have gotten him out but it just reminds you like who pays the price in this world yeah it's a good note to end the story on not a happy note obviously but a good one I did also just want to mention before we move on to the last chapter, there is uh, just a throwaway line about the Fitz house becoming a prep school. And no, thank you. <laughs> Mm-mm. Who would like, I think a boarding school even maybe. Ugh. Yeah, that's terrible. Mm-mm. Because they found the body of the Fitz kid. They do receive a letter from Penelope Fitz mm-hmm. congratulating them on their success and thanking them for finding her childhood friend. Um, and I just, knowing what we know from the end of the series, I really wish we knew why she sent that letter. I, what she was thinking, what she was hoping to get from that. A lot of people talk about wanting to read these books from Lockwood's point of view. I, well, I would enjoy that, but I would also enjoy reading them from Penelope Fitz's point of view. I read this as like, you receive a gift from someone that you like you don't see all the time, and then 
you send them a thank you card or like this is like good manners i think right it's like you know she's the representative of her organization and blah 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 so she was just like hey good job see i read this as her being that's an interesting thing that these agents did that maybe nobody else could have done and i need to have a connection with them so that i can use them (laughs) like (laughs) my mind always goes to star wars like that that moment at the end of phantom menace where the the emperor guy is like, I'll watch your career with great interest, little Anakin Skywalker. Uh, <laughs> the emperor guy. I, I couldn't think of his name. Palpatine. Uh, Senator yeah. Palpatine, yeah. Um, and then we're into the final chapter. In chapter 26, Lockwood, George, and Lucy celebrate, but Lucy has an ominous conversation with Skull. Yay, Skull. We finally get to meet him properly. Um, But before that, our chapter art is donuts. These donuts look not sat on. So they must be the initial donuts. (laughs) They also don't really look like jelly donuts, or at least, or I guess some of those bottom ones might be. Uh That's George's move is you put the jellies on the bottom. Right, 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 of course. Um, So then there's like a little newspaper sum up of everything that's happened, although with some noted changes about Fairfax. But also, (laughs) they wrote down Anthony. Uh, Lockwood's name and please note (laughs) as a sort of equivalence for our first episode I just very much stopped myself from saying his first name (laughs) so that I didn't have to make a choice there Um, what does Esquire even mean when used in like I don't have any idea oh I've always thought I, I might be totally wrong about this but as like an unmarried man it just says a title of respect, usually abbreviated to ESQ, which it is here, um, placed after a man's name. Oh. In my personal, like if anybody ever refers to someone or especially to themselves that way, I'm like, oh, best avoided this person. Like, just don't interact. But not, uh, oh, shoot, I don't remember which one, Bill and or Ted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's very <laughs> funny, Reeves though. One. Yeah. yeah, from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. If people don't have yeah. no idea what we're talking about. We have to get in all the 80s references yeah. possible. That movie might have been 90s, actually. I don't remember. I think it is, yeah. All right. So after the interview, we get a little sum up of their return to London. And they did finally sleep it off. And then they're having a big celebration party. Just three of them. So small celebration party. Um, and... I just wanted to say that, like, as much as I love how Lockwood and Co. expands in the coming books, I do just love the three of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does a good job of really getting us, and this, I think this chapter pays it off, to care a lot about all three of them and about the bond that they have. Yes. I do like that there are lies in the news story. Yep. After having a couple few news stories sprinkled throughout it does make me wonder like if there's some kind of commentary about like the news is just like another corrupt arm of the establishment you know you just can't trust the press because they're gonna toe the line on whatever the kind of official story is or they're gonna be lied to or they're gonna be paid off yeah exactly it's not that because yeah, here here the press was lied they were to. lied to right Yeah, that's a good point. But you can't trust what you read, in other words. And so, like, it kind of retroactively helps with the whole red herring situation around 
who the killer was too. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, that's You fair. know what I mean? Like all fingers pointed at Hugo Blake, but it's like how much was Fairfax using, you know, whatever influence he had to keep his name out of the papers? You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe he paid somebody off to write about Hugo Blake. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, he went to them and was like, well, her boyfriend was Hugo Blake. Did you know? Yeah, I could see for him, even that would be like two birds with one yep. stone. Yep. So yeah, it was just interesting to like, notice again that it was riddled with lies i mean the other riddled with lies was funny because it was lockwood being like we really care about you know solving murders and things like that and then they're happy that they're finally getting some good press but of course that's because they didn't burn coon carry down <laughs> they just killed their client <laughs> they just killed their client <laughs> so george says i suppose there's always room for improvement <laughs> You know, George, it's nice that you know that about yourself. Yeah. Right after that, it says, I'm just sorry. I said after a while that Barnes made you lie about Fairfax. He should have been publicly revealed for what he was. And yeah, this made me think like how I've been talking about noir detective fiction. Lockwood just basically lays out the morality of that right after this in response that like you can't get justice inside the system and they have to be satisfied with the justice that they create for the victim and that's like always how a noir detective like a lot of times they don't even get paid they just like have to be satisfied with the fact that they killed the corrupt cop or you know like the bad guy fell off a bridge or something like that but there's nobody's ever going to go to jail they're never going to dismantle the system they just have to be satisfied with what they can get yeah and even when they're talking or Lockwood's uh, is sort of summing everything up and he says you know Blake is exonerated Barnes gets his cover-up or and, and Annie Ward gets her murderer right and then he says everybody's happy <laughs> except Fairfax, except Fairfax. <laughs> and then of course Lucy says I wonder what else Deeprax is concealing I underlined so much of this whole conversation so I'm just going like word for word through the book now yeah. and that's basically what we were just talking about with you know, what is in the basement, the metaphorical basement. Yeah. And it's good. Again, it like expands the world. There's like the kids notice too, that there's a cover up that things, yeah. they know that things were covered up. And so they're like, what else is being covered up? And then, and Lucy says like, she would have loved to take a closer look at the suit, which I think is just George rubbing off on her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked that bit. That's true. At the beginning of the book, she's like, who cares about stuff like that? Yeah, and then like directly after that, George asks Lucy for her opinion on the goggles and the little symbol on them. Mm. And then George says that he's going to keep experimenting on them. And I'm like, George, they were adults wearing goggles in a haunted house. There's only one thing they could do. <laughs> you are a smart human being. I get the feeling that like, I don't know this for sure about Stroud, but it feels like his world building was like pretty extensive. Like he had a lot of things thought out about the world mm -hmm. and then he kind of let the characters do their thing and just bring in those elements. I don't know that he was setting up specific plot things necessarily, but he was setting up world things. It feels like. Yeah. Almost like he was leaving trails for himself. Yeah. That like, if it worked, he could pick up later, but if it didn't, oh well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. The one big British to American English change that I notice here is George says we're almost out of ginger ale. In the American and in the British, it was ginger beer. Yeah, right. They can't be drinking beer. 
It's not even an alcoholic drink. I know. It's like <laughs> ale is the same thing. That yeah. <laughs> means literally the same thing. But but they are different drinks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. So wait, wait. Maybe I don't know this. So like ginger beer is not the same as ginger ale? No, don't make that mistake. Oh, okay. Completely different. I didn't know that. Yeah. I know I don't like ginger ale very much. I don't know if I've ever had ginger beer. Uh, Yeah, I'm not a fan of it, but... Well, actually, I haven't had it in a really long time. And I think when I did have it, I was kind of expecting it to be more similar to ginger ale. So probably something I could give a second chance to. I think my associations... We're spending way too long on this. But my associations (laughs) with ginger ale are purely around when I would get sick, my mom would buy ginger ale and be like, drink this. And so it's like sickness in a can for me. (laughs) I, I, I enjoy ginger ale sometimes. I mostly... I always get one on an airplane. I associate, like, if I'm on an airplane and the lady's like, what would you like to drink? Uh, I'm like, oh, ginger ale, please. I don't know why. Yeah, the ginger's supposed to settle your stomach, so. Yeah, but my stomach is not really. You're not nervous on the airplane, yeah. Oh, I am, but after takeoff, I'm fine. Well, takeoff and landing. Once we're in the air, I'm fine. Mm. Um, And then we have a nice little conversation between Lucy and Lockwood when George gets to, goes to get more food. Oh, yeah, I highlighted the thing where it said Lockwood and I sat facing each other. We met each other's eyes, smiled, and looked away. It was suddenly just a little awkward, like the old days back again. And I was like, is this flirting? Is this this romance? I don't know. (laughs) I think you can interpret it any way you want. But um, it does sort of have that, like, we've just been through a big thing together, and now we just have to still live together. (laughs) Right, yeah. What is life? Like maybe, like, I think in the grand scheme of things, they still haven't lived together that long. So that can still be a little awkward. But then they do just have a nice little conversation Mm -hmm. about Lockwood wanting, sort of wanting to probe into her abilities and see if she was actually being influenced by any ward directly and not just feeling sorry for her or... And I think even Lucy doesn't quite know. Like she gives him a hard nose that this was what Lucy had wanted to do. And it wasn't Annie getting into her head. Mm-hmm. But almost immediately after this conversation, she runs out of the room. She's like, yep, I'll go meet. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I relate to that, Lucy. And then she sort of thinks about it. And I don't think she's sure. And I like, I like that. That we just don't know if it was all in her head or like if it was all Lucy um, making these choices just because she felt a connection or if it was the connection itself making her make these choices. Yeah. And it, I think the <clears throat> conversation does a good job of unpacking kind of the arc that I've been talking about. Yes. Yeah. Where she was, I think she like pretty much literally says that like back when I was with Jacobs and co I didn't trust my gut and now I trust my gut and I trust both of you to have my back and, and all of that. So like she's come to a new place with all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. And she gives Lockwood a brief sum up, like incredibly brief of what happened to her. And he immediately says, sounds very much like it was your supervisor's fault, yeah. not yours. Which is so nice. Good job, Lockwood. That's nice, yeah. Teenage boys aren't always a disaster. <laughs> there is a moment here where I was like, it's like 
a lot of times when you give people advice, all you're really doing is like saying the thing that you wish somebody would say to you. And Lockwood says this thing to her that I was like, oh, man, Lockwood, just look in a mirror. Uh, He says, I trust your talent and your judgment, and I'm very proud to have you on my team, okay? So stop worrying about the past. The past is for ghosts. We've all done things we regret. It's what ahead of it's what's ahead of us that counts, right? And I was yeah. like, Lockwood, come on, man, forget the past. You are very wrapped up in your past, in your secrets, in his ghosts, in his ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then yes, I, I underlined when Lucy gets up quickly and says, "No worries, I'll get them." And I just wrote, "Running away." Yeah, there was a moment earlier in the conversation too that i was like oh this is such a weird thing for the narrator to do but but Mm -hmm. it's kind of adorable that she while she's talking to lockwood she says no i gave him my trademark l carlisle quizzical grin lockwood are you accusing me of being controlled by the ghost and i was like that's adorable lucy (laughs) you have like She's categorizing her own smiles now. Yeah, that bit feels like flirting to me. The other bits hmm, of this conversation, but that bit feels very much like... I don't even know if Lucy would think of it that way, though. I don't think she would. I think she's trying to dodge the question. Yeah. I, I actually like... Because of how much you you talk about how you can't tell if it's flirting or if it's, you know, supposed to be kind of romantic. But like Lucy and Lockwood are the perfect relationship to be talking about if you can't tell because they also don't know what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they probably don't know. It's yeah, it's like you said about the difference between the book and the show. I think like the show just turns all of that stuff up to a million. They're so angst ridden and like want each other a lot and they're much more tentative in the books they're also younger in the books yeah they're much younger yeah um so then she goes downstairs to meet her new best friend her new best friend (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a moment i don't know she's like has this clumsy moment where she trips over the shrimp or something it's shrimp cocktail flavored chips. Oh man! I assume in the, <laughs> I assume in the British it was crisps, but yeah. Yeah, but she trips, she falls. Oh yeah, and she immediately blames George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> George had helpfully left them lying around in the middle of the floor. Yeah, she knocks against something hard, and then she collapses on something soft, and it's the donuts. Uh, and then she says Lockwood can have those, which I like. <laughs> I like that, but I also do think of the three of them, Lockwood would care the least. That's true. Especially if if Lucy gives them to him, like if George gave them to him, it would very much he would very much be like, "Why?" <laughs> I think, you know. But if Lucy, he he would just be like, "Okay, donuts." Yeah, he wouldn't think that she had nefarious <laughs> schemes going on. At least that's the impression I get. But yeah, the big news here is skull. Yeah, yeah. In the fall, she somehow. Uh, hits the lever, 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 lever. Same, same, same. I don't like either, apparently, on the jar. And then his voice can finally escape. And he knows her name. So this is another new, like, world-expanding thing. So he's been listening to their conversations. 
And after we just talked with Lockwood about like, did the ghost tell you this? Did it tell you that? Did you hear something? She's like, no, no, it doesn't work like that. And suddenly it does. And I just, I love that his first like full sentence is about bleeding time. (laughs) I've been calling you forever. (laughs) Which is great because we do see him like mouthing words and stuff throughout the whole book, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, his character is very consistent. So again, you get the feeling yeah. that like Stroud had already mapped out what this thing is and its personality and stuff. And also important to note that the jar he's in is designed for this. Right. Right? Like it's designed to let his voice out and then keep it without letting the ghost out. Right. And then to be able to close up. So somebody else knows what's going on here. You know, like as much as George experiments and fiddles with this thing, he probably has sprung that latch, but yeah. he wouldn't be able to sense this. Um, but Skull does insult George almost right away, so we know he belongs with the agency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he also insults Lockwood, so, but he just calls him callous. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then Lucy is goes to close the jar, and in order to convince her, to not close it up he has some important lines here where he says death's coming to you all because everything's upside down death's in life and life's in death and what was fixed is fluid and it doesn't matter what you try lucy you'll never be able to turn the tide yeah so it seems like skull knows unknowable things it's it's very mysterious it's very evocative right here at the end of the book we're like making things really, really big and kind of bringing it back at the beginning of the book, we were talking about the problem and it feels like this is really bringing it back to the forefront that like, yes, we solved Coom Carey Hall. We saved Lockwood and co, but like things are not fixed. And if you listen to skull, they're unfixable and inside out and backwards. Yes. I can't really say anything cause I know what he means. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to... I mean, do you have any thoughts on what it means? I mean, what I wrote down here, I just said prophecy with a question mark and like how much does Skull know? How much does he really know? Or is he just like saying things to not get the lid popped back on him? You know what I mean? Right. And I don't even know if prophecy is the right word. It feels... But it has that kind of feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel like something that he would say. It feels like, I don't know if quoting is the right thing, but like like he's drawing from something else, not from himself. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. It doesn't sound like something Skull would say. Yeah. The way that he words it. But it's super cool. And it. I remember the first time reading this book and getting through, you know, all of Coombe Carey and then these especially these last two chapters i was like wow i just feel like everything just keeps changing and changing like getting bigger and bigger and bigger and this is like feels like the biggest thing of all because we're like really talking about everything that's wrong in the world and then that's like the end and it's just that's really kind of impressive and as a reader and someone who loves fantasy and this kind of stuff it was like, oh, I need the next book. I need more lore. I need more world building. Like, what does this mean? Where is it going? So I think it's really smart. Yeah, it is. He's he's really good at ending his chapters, like you say. Like, you want to turn the next page, and he's really good at ending his books that way, too. Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge swerve to have the ghost speaking directly to her. 
I'm very glad that I read these books after all five were released, so I didn't have to wait. Uh, <laughs> waiting for the next Scarlet and Brown book is difficult. I would like that now. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I do like the last line of the whole thing. Yep. I feel like it plays off of the first line in a way. It says, bearing a tray of slightly squashed donuts, I climbed quickly out of the darkness towards the warm, bright room. And it, it just seems like such a fitting end to like we opened up with all of this imperfection. Like, I won't tell you about all the mistakes we made. And there's the squash donuts right. or like this imperfection that's like kind of cozy and funny. Mm, um, yes. But it like summarizes the arc of Lucy, like accepting herself and her place in Lockwood and Co. And like trying to be like, oh, I'm not going to talk about how I don't fit in. Like she fits in perfectly and everything is warm and bright. I liked how it was very much a choice of her leaving death in the basement and going towards life upstairs. Oh, I like that. Because she talks about hearing Lockwood laugh and wanting to be in on the joke and laughing with them. Yeah, yeah. This is the screaming staircase. Uh, now we're going to talk one by one about everything in the glossary. And uh, Oh, fuck. No. <laughs> I was going to say, I did not prepare for that. <laughs> I forgot that it was here. And then I kept going in my ebook and it has like the first chapter of the next book. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I'm not reading this yet. <sighs> I'm really excited to get to book four with you yeah. because it's my favorite and... We get a lot of answers in book four, but we still have to get through two and three. Yeah. And that sucks. I feel like... <laughs> I mean, I like two and three also, but you know. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, how do you feel about book... I feel like this book uh, was long, and I don't think it was, like... Maybe it was the change in plan that we had, but, like, analyzing the book, I was like, man, this uh, it's not bad or anything, but I was like, I spent more time on this than I expected to, so I don't know how you felt about it. See, in a way, it felt very short to me. Like, it's weird to me that we're done already. Even though, yeah, we had delays that we weren't expecting, which is great. Because at the beginning of this, I was like, we should record a bunch before we release because we're going to have delays. Yeah, that was smart. Yeah. But it still felt pretty short to me. A lot of the other things that I and you have podcasted about are pretty dense. Yeah. Not to, And I don't mean to put down Lockwood & Co. at all. But you can get through the chapters pretty quickly. Like, they're easy to read. They are also intelligent, and I like them, obviously. We just spent hours and hours talking about them all, so I'm not being insulting here. But we're also not, like, delving into the history of the schism in the Christian church like we were with his dark materials, right? Yeah, maybe that is what I mean, is, like, there was a lot to talk about, and I don't know that I would have said that going into it. I think I really did think like we'll have 30 minute, 45 minute conversations about each part. And it was like we were taking 90 minutes or more to really go through this thing because like the world building is so intricate. The characters are so well designed and like everything is put together so smartly that there was a lot to talk about. I think that's the beauty of a a well-written middle grade series is that you can read it just as kind of fluff as like entertainment but when you dive into it, you find all the little things. That's that's why podcasting is fun or why English class, why I enjoyed English class personally. Because when you tear something apart, you, you appreciate it in a different way than when you're just doing it for entertainment. Not that either is wrong or bad, but just different. Yeah. I think, 
you probably have to do a better job, I would say, at middle grade on like tightening up your characters, on keeping your world building really coherent, because they're just going to put your book down. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. really got a role. It can't be too long. And it has to like, the depth has to be under the surface, if that makes sense. Then adult books have a lot more latitude to like, really dig into things or like really search out spaces and, and make it longer. And sometimes that stuff, uh, even though it's like more interesting or like can be more crunchy or like delve into, you know, sexual themes or traumatic themes and blah, blah, blah. It can, it can also be less tight than these middle grade books, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think this is harder adult to books do. Get a, yeah. Adult books get away with so much meandering. Yeah. That is just not available to books that are aimed at children. Like I said, it, it gave a lot more than, I expected it to on the whole. And like, I have so much more respect for Stroud's choices on every level from like sentences mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and humor and like the play of humor against horror and, and uh, the world building and the characters and all of that stuff. It's just really impressive work. Yeah, I agree. And I also, because the show characters do feel very different and, the plot to a degree but I liked finding those little moments that obviously inspired the show in the direction that they took things mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that and just in general I read through the books so fast because I wanted to watch the show but like I want I needed to read the books first because I'm stupid that way <laughs> I did the same thing so I, I don't know <laughs> so I like powered through all five books and did not allow myself to watch the show before I read them. So it was nice to just go back and take my time and notice all the details that I missed. Yeah, it's also a problem that I have. Like, even if the show wasn't waiting for me, I, if the ending is available to me, I need it. Mm -hmm. y you know what I mean? Like I, it's, I do it in like big video games too. I will ignore side quests just to finish the story and then I'll replay and do everything. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm probably the exact opposite of you because like I will put off the destination forever to just do the journey. And there are some things that I haven't even ever finished before in books because like the ending matters less to me than like everything that comes. That's like why I'm very comfortable sitting here having read three books and I'm like, yeah, yeah no, I can never. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's painful to me to think about you. Yeah, it doesn't bother <laughs> me at all. What a way to all. put that. You know what I mean? Yeah, though? yeah, I get it. I could not do that. I do play Bioware games the way that you said the the first time. I have to know how it ends so that I can restart my canon playthrough so I can have a, oh, yeah. a proper narrative arc where my hero starts out good and pure and ends up angsty and hating the world. I'm, I'm less like that in choice-heavy video games, yeah. but in the more like, like Final Fantasy games, I just need to power through and get to the end. I need to know how it ends. And then I can go back and take my time with it. So I think we're next time we're going to do The Dagger in the Desk, right? Right, yeah. So Before we start book two. Yep. There's uh, 1.5 Lockwood & Co. is how it's listed. Anytime you look up the uh, 
the series. And so it's an interstitial episode that happens in between the first and second book, just a one-off case that Jonathan Stroud wrote for a magazine. So we'll talk about that in one shot and that will come out uh, probably like in a couple of weeks, three weeks or something like that. Yeah, we might have to delay our start of book two because as I briefly mentioned last time, I have to surprise move house. <laughs> yeah, surprise. <laughs> so which has been great for yeah. me. Then it's going to be Christmas, basically. Yeah. So there might be a bit more of a delay in between books one and two than what we were originally hoping for. But thus is life. Yep. Oh, we didn't do like best joke. Best joke. Oh, you know what? I, I wrote it down somewhere here. Give me a second. I, oh, here we are. <clears throat> uh, that's because we didn't burn Coom Carey down, though having said that, we did kill our client. I suppose there's always room for improvement. <laughs> so this is my joke, too. So Yeah. Good. <laughs> it doesn't... Or the, or the one the time before that when they were like, oh, or Fairfax. Yeah, Fairfax. You know, just anytime they're like, right, we did kill a guy. <laughs> But it felt fair. He was trying to kill us, too. So it's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're just so blasé about it. And it's funny, but also like, oh, right, they all have a messed up relationship with death. Yeah. (laughs) Let's not forget that. It's just like an oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best. And it's it's George being back on his Georgeness. And like, not apologize. He's not like, oh, I'm scared or something like that. He's just being George. Also, I mentioned the beginning, the thing about taking the post-its out of the book. And like, as soon as we finished talking about the book, I've started taking the post-its out. So now that noise is probably going to be on the recording because I couldn't wait 10 fucking seconds. Anyways, I didn't think there really was a punk rock moment. I put down George snatching the lenses from the... Oh, yeah. The goggles. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a real like... I mean, it's him stealing Skull. It's like his... Yeah, like when Lockwood told the lie to um, to Barnes, I didn't think Lucy had taken them or anything. No, George took them, obviously. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like that. And I, that's what I remembered. It, like, And I think we talked about it in the show that he only took the lenses and not the full goggles because it was like, why would you need the goggles? That still didn't stand out in my mind when reading it. As far as I was picturing in my head, he took the goggles. <laughs> yeah, it sometimes it's not clear that like did he take the goggles or like he just talks about i don't know but like yeah i'm pretty sure he just they have took to the have lenses. the symbol on them yeah and it has it on the lens itself so oh weird i like the way the show did it better then. yeah yeah it makes sense makes more sense yeah. all right i think that's that so you uh if you want to tell us if our tangents are annoying or not you can reach out to us on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast, or you can find me on Twitter uh, at Inferior Caitlin. And you can reach out and send us an email, contact at hollowedgroundmedia.com, or scroll to the bottom of our homepage uh, by going to the contact page, hollowedgroundmedia.com slash contact. And remember to always kill your employer. Oh, yeah. Uh, for legal reasons, that is a joke. Going out on a Marxist. <laughs> <laughs> Workers of the world. Are-